0: mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america and a member fdsc welcome to the bike radar podcast brought to you by the team behind BikeRider.com, cycling plus and mbuk magazines if you enjoy this episode please subscribe and if you can do so leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice it really helps us reach other cyclists like you Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast for the latest in our Bike Radar Meets series, where we chat to the leading product designers, engineers and riders in the industry. For this episode, I'm joined by Jordan Rusing, Director of Road Bikes for Trek. As the person responsible for the development of all of Trek's drop bar bikes, I spoke to Jordan about two of this summer's biggest launches, the revamped Madone Aero Bike in June and more recently, the latest version of the Domane Endurance Bike. Before we get on to the episode, please do subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you want to get in touch with us directly or to suggest a guest for the show, you can email podcast at bike radar.com. That's it for the intro. Now, on to the podcast. Jordan, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. Can you tell us a little about your role as director of road bikes for Trek?
1: Yeah, um, I oversee more or less the road bike category at Trek. So anything that has a drop bar would be defined within our category, and that it's, uh, extends from racing bikes, uh, triathlon bikes, gravel bikes. Uh, Every day, road bike. So anything in that span sort of falls under uh, my team's purview at
0: Trek. Well, it's been a really busy time for Trek over the last couple of months with the launch of the new Madone in June, and more recently today, actually, when we're recording um, the updated Demane. But we're going to start with the the new Trek Madone. How long have you been working on that bike? So it was the seventh generation of Madone, if I'm right
1: yeah that's correct I mean in typical fashion we we almost never really stopped developing any of our platforms um so really at the at the launch of the last bike that we had the previous version of the madone, the process sort of starts again um right away that we we have gained a lot of lessons that we learned through the development of the previous iteration. We already know a bunch of areas of improvement that we can. Um, we can apply to the next version. And so that team almost really progressively goes from one version of the bike directly onto the next one. And so we've been working on it for two and a half to three years at this point. Um, and again, we sort of flow seamlessly from one version of the bike to the next version um, and try to, again, use all those lessons learned uh, to make the, the next version even better.
0: Well, I'll, I'll try not to extract any information from you today as to what you're working on the next bike that <laughs> will come probably in a, in a few years' time, I imagine. But with this uh, new generation of Madone, you know, what were the primary aims when developing this bike? Because it's it's your aerodynamic race platform, effectively.
1: Yeah, and, and under that, um, guys, it for sure. When, anytime we're talking about a race bike, um, speed uh, or aerodynamics and weight become the primary factors that we focus on. Um, the previous version of the Madone was a really fast bike. It was a great riding bike. It was not a light bike. Um, and so as we talked to our own internal riders, our uh, professional teams, for sure their first comment of any way to improve the previous version was simply through weight. Um, if we can maintain the previous aerodynamics, if we can continue to have the bike ride, amazing. Um, but just reduce the weight dramatically, that would be sort of in their world the ideal race bike. Um, and so that was really the starting point is knowing that the previous iteration of the bike had all these great, um, performance metrics to it, but that we need to f- be able to still achieve those while reducing weight dramatically. Um, and that was sort of the, the rallying cry behind the project and uh, what led to a lot of the technologies that we've incorporated within within that, the new bike.
0: Mm, so, I mean, let's start with ISO flow because that, you know, that is clearly, there's a lot going on with the bike full stop, but that is clearly the, the kind of the headline technology, and you know, for our listeners who aren't familiar with IsoFlow, I'm going to oversimplify it, and then I can hope that you can uh, obviously expand from an engineering standpoint. But it is effectively a large hole in the seat tube. But I will <laughs> hand over to you to give your kind of engineering take on uh, the thought process and the kind of development process behind that kind of specific uh, part of the bike.
1: Yeah, and um, again, sort of with the inception of the idea that we wanted to maintain the, the ride quality of the previous window, and we wanted to maintain or improve aerodynamics, but we wanted to dramatically reduce weight. Um, as the team got into the initial evaluations of new frame design, one of the really focal areas of development was in that seat cluster, so the merger of the top tube, the seat stays, and the seat tube. Um, and the reason for that was it really affects sort of all the different aspects of, of bike performance. There's a significant effect on aerodynamics in that space. What you're doing with the chain stays as they merge into the rest of the frame. Um, it has a significant impact on the compliance of the bike. So with ISO speed, obviously we have a pivot point in that same area and that's what com- provides compliance, but really how vibrations and impacts translate through that area of frame is super critical to the ride quality of the bike. Um, and it's also a really important junction from a structural perspective because it's also where a bunch of tubes come together. And so um, how you're able to do that efficiently affects how light you're able to make the bike and how stiff you're able to make the bike. And so really quickly sort of all of or a lot of the focus of the bike ran toward that specific area. And we needed new and novel Solutions for how to be able to manage all three of those parameters, the ride quality, the weight and the aerodynamics. Um, and so it was this collaboration between our industrial design and engineering team that's just started going through all the different ways that you could connect those different parts of the frame together. And I can tell you that they tried a lot of really crazy ideas. So. Isoflow is obviously a novel solution, but um, we've we tried even wilder uh, ideas along the thought process, and it just went through an iterative process of trying a bunch of really crazy ideas, um, seeing which ones were effective and which ones weren't, sort of sorting that down to a smaller subset of solutions, and then iterating and improving, iterating and improving until we sort of came to this ISO flow design as it stands today and saw the benefits of it, saw that it, it did... Um, allow us to provide a compliant ride experience to the rider without iso speed. It had an aerodynamic benefit because it sort of channels air into a low pressure uh, area behind the rider. And from a structural perspective, it's also super efficient um, because of the wide stance of the chain stays and the fact that they're um, higher on the frame. So for torsional rigidity, it's also um, a really efficient design. And so it's sort of. Uh, aligned with both the parameters of the project um, and did such did so in a way that it's it's again a really important part of the frame to be able to deliver on all those three different parameters
0: it also meant uh, a shift away from iso speed your uh traditional kind of uh, comfort enhancing technology that started on the dimani and then has uh, made its way onto numerous other bikes and uh, there's been a couple of different iterations of iso speed but to all intents and purposes, it decouples the, the seat tube from the, the, the top tube to build some compliance into that part of the bike. Um, but how soon into the development of the new Madone did you realize that you had to move away from that in order to achieve what you've just ran through?
1: Um, I think it was a very early um, early idea that we would need to remove IsoSpeed if, if for no other reason than weight. Um, IsoSpeed provides a really compliant experience to the rider, but it is not the lightest Um, mechanism for providing compliance. It does provide a lot of compliance, and I think that that was also one of the pieces of feedback that we got from riders is, Oftentimes, A, they weren't using the adjustability component of that system, but B, for pure race application or for even the everyday racer, um, they didn't need the amount of compliance that that system was providing. And so if we're looking at solutions for taking weight out of the bike and fine tuning the compliance needed for riders to still be able to comfortably ride the bike all day, every day, but not much beyond that, then we identified that maybe ISO speed wasn't the best solution specifically for that application. And again, by taking the system out, we can save a dramatic amount of weight. And um, we just need to make sure that we're still providing enough compliance uh, to meet that threshold for the riders that are one, choosing to ride on a race bike.
0: For a, a bike like the Madone, which is so race focused and was used to uh, winning success at the, the Tour de France under Matt Pedersen, how important is that feedback that you do get from pro-level riders?
1: Um, I'd say it's super important. Um, we do always measure their feedback against what we see the um, the riders in the real world also wanting out of their bikes. So we, we have to balance those things. Um, but in general, a lot of times those things really closely align. It's very rare, actually, nowadays that we see a big conflict between the needs of real riders and more professional athletes. Um, and the Madonna is, I think actually a really good example of that of our pros wanted a really fast bike that was still reasonably comfortable, uh, that was way lighter. And if we look at, uh, the normal everyday racer, who's doing racing on the weekends or group rides, those are the same things that they want out of their bike. They still want it to be reasonably comfortable. Um, but they want it to be lighter and they want it to be really fast. And, um, Maybe an interesting outcome um, from looking at that balance of two things is just the H1 geometry that we've sort of settled on within our race bikes because historically we had had two different race geometries, one more or less specifically for the pros in H1 and one more for our everyday racer in H2. And we found that actually there was a merger between the two happening, that racers were getting a more upright geometry and that we could accommodate even the most aggressive professional racers on that geometry, but it was still accommodating accessible to most of our riders and um for sure our professional riders push the bikes harder and further than anyone else so they can feel a lot more nuanced necessarily um but the overarching needs of uh of what a professional racer needs and what the market needs more or less are, are really well aligned and i think the madone does a good job of delivering we listen to our racers we validated of like these are the things that um a weekend racer is also wanting and again, that alignment and uh, really worked out well for the Madone.
0: And, you know, going back to the, the Tour de France and also the Tour de France Femme that um, that followed, but at the Tour de France specifically, um, we'll come on to the new Demane, but we did wonder before the cobbled stage whether some of your riders might be on the new Demane because it had previously been raced at Paris-Roubaix. Um, as far as I'm aware, as far as we saw at the time, all if not the, the majority, but we think all riders were on the Madone. Um, what was the kind of thinking behind that? You know, it wasn't as it wasn't as harsh a stage as a, a true Paris-Roubaix, but clearly as a um, still a beating that you take over that amount of cobbles.
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when
0: they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bell one-time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through twelve thirty one twenty four. Excludes tax. Must update to rewards. Yeah, and I mean, one. I guess one note there is that we allow our riders to choose whichever bike they want to race. Obviously, it has to be a truck if they're a truck sponsor athlete. But um, beyond that, if they want to choose an Amanda, Madone, Domani for us, they can choose the tool that's best for whatever specific race day they have coming up and um, whatever they feel like is is best to achieve their goals. Um, For sure, an individual Roubaix stage, during the tour is a very different thing than the full Perry Roubaix. Um, speeds are going to be higher because it's shorter, you have much less cobbles. Um, the riders aren't worried about the fatigue after 250 some kilometers on cobbles, that oftentimes is the differentiator within peri Roubaix. Um and so you are correct that I don't think any of the male riders in that Roubaix stage were riding on uh a Damani. They were all on the Madone. Um and they actually were super excited about the performance of that bike. They validated it ahead of time, so they rode both platforms on uh on the cobbles in a recon ride just to make sure that they felt comfortable on either bike and to be able to make their selection. Um and I would say it, it remains an ongoing debate. Um for the riders of which bike is best for the cobbles. Better Bay continues to be raced at a higher speed. I think last year might've been a record speed for that race. A lot of more of the race is happening before the cobbles. So there's a hundred and some kilometers that are on smooth, super flat and straight roads. Um, and so it's it's a continued debate and where we empower riders to be able to choose whichever bike that they wanna race on those and sort of choose the weapon that they, they think is gonna, again, help them best achieve the result.
0: And when we're looking at um, the idea of comfort or compliance as a whole in a bike, uh, you know, that's something that has changed significantly in the past few years where now most bikes, even race bikes, can a- accommodate wide tyres, very wide comp- uh, tyres compared to a few years ago where 23 or 25s might have been the limit on a on a rim brake race bike. How much of that is also part of the mix when you kind of consider taking away Isis speed but maybe counteracting that with a wider tyre?
1: Um, definitively, that's a significant trend and, and does help, uh, comfort a lot. Um, I mean, even if, whether you're looking at that from a pure race perspective or, um, the everyday road rider all the way through to gravel, all of those sort of accepted tire and pressure combinations now have migrated to bigger volume, lower pressure across the board. And so that does mean that the tire is doing a lot more of the work than it was 10 years ago when you're on a 23 millimeter tire at 20 PSI. Now you might be on a 25 or 28 at 75 or 80 PSI. There's a dramatic difference in the way that that tire performs and how much that absorbs. Um, and, and we definitely, um, incorporate that into the thought process of our product development. I mean, Madone not having ISO speed, we can probably get away with that better because of the fact that we're using bigger, lower pressure tires than we were, uh, when that, when the bike originally had ISO speed on it. Um, Domani is actually another really good example of we, in the latest iteration that's launching today, there's no front ISO speed on that bike now. And, um, all of those bikes come spec with a 32-millimeter tubeless tire on it, and when we originally invented front iso speed, that bike had 25 or 28-millimeter tires that people are pumping up to 90 PSI, and so a 32-millimeter tire at 60 PSI obviously absorbs a lot more um, than the tires that we used to be using before and so we we definitely adapt our frame design based on that trend and we, we do feel it's beneficial to riders just the tire does a ton of work it can do a ton of work a lower pressure uh higher volume tire for the majority of riders is a better experience than what we we're using 10 years ago
0: and as i mentioned at the top the madone has been through seven iterations now going back to 2003 i think when the first madone was launched and in that time, it, it started life as a, a kind of lightweight all-rounder-ish bike, as as most race bikes were at that point in time. Aerodynamics certainly wasn't the focus it is now, and then shifted to its aero focus in 2015. Even since then, aerodynamics has become a huge part of uh, development across cycling as a whole, not just in the pro peloton. But how has kind of Trek's understanding of aerodynamics changed uh, in this kind of latest version of the bike?
1: Um, it, it, it changes, I would say, in sort of a, a in evolutionary and iterative way of that we we do learn as we progress, and sort of that same mentality of the last by the time that we launched our last Madone, we were already starting to develop the new Madone. Our understanding of aerodynamics sort of progresses throughout that. Of every time we design a new bike, we learn something new. We get different tools um, to be able to evaluate the aerodynamics, and our processes for how we evaluate the aerodynamics of a system. Um, change. So in the new Madone, as an example, we're doing almost uh, all of our CFD analysis now with a rider on and looking at those interactions much more closely than we used to. We used to do things with just the bike, but obviously the rider being so disruptive to airflow has a big impact on the bike that you design around that rider. Um, we can also do a lot more uh, dynamic Um, simulations where it's not just a direct airflow that's sort of statically moving across the rider and bike. There's more uh, turbulence and more movement in the wind that we can actually simulate Um, within our CFD programs and the tools that we're using both in the program itself, but the computers that do all the processing keep getting better and better. And that means that we can get more accurate simulations out of those tools um, to be able to design bikes and iterate the aerodynamics better and better. So we actually have our own supercomputer at track. We used to lease cloud space uh, for the last version of the Madone. Now we, uh, took that in house and have access to our own sort of supercomputer to be able to do that processing and it takes a ton of processing power to do these really complicated simulations but again, that technology didn't exist ten years ago, both in the cfd program but also in just the computing power that you need to be able to do that kind of simulation, and that results in a faster bike
0: i mean has the um, the kind of wish list for aero bikes how how has that changed in the the, the seven years since? The original uh, kind of aero madone was was launched. If I think back to that bike, I remember being at the launch um, in Utrecht ahead of that year's uh, Tour de France Grand Depart. It, it was a rim brake bike. It had the the kind of aero flaps kind of extending from the from the head tube. It's it's quite different That's to amazing. what we see today. Um Yeah, I mean, how what did your wish list aside from the, the the kind of weight and the comfort and the actual aero considerations that you mentioned at the top? What else was on your wish list for this bike when you started developing it?
1: Yeah, I, I mean I I think the goals are actually really consistent with the original concept of that fully integrated uh Madone back in twenty fifteen. Um but again, there's just been a lot of advancements since then and we can incorporate those. We also have pretty significant changes just to our, our industrial design design language to the bike and For sure that, that remains a relatively important part of the aspect of the bike is just having it be, we think of it internally as this iconic design of it needs to just be a bike that you can look at and be like, wow, that is differentiated from everyone else. That is just a more or less a sculpture that you could hang and hang above your fireplace mantle if you wanted to. And it's a piece of art. Um, what's really cool about That concept is the collaboration between our engineering and industrial design teams actually allow us to balance performance and that sort of stunning visual design of the bike and merge those two things together where they, they, they don't conflict with each other. They actually complement each other and our industrial design language actually helps the bike's performance. um, And and sort of those two things are able to come together um, so that, Again, the goal from the original Madonna, or the original twenty fifteen Madone has held true. It's still the ultimate race bike. For us, it's it's the bike that our professional athletes should be racing most of the time. It's dramatically faster than actually anything else in our quiver and anything else in the market. And so for us that's the rallying cry behind the bike and sort of always has been. Um, but that has evolved into just how much performance you can get out of that platform um from seven years ago when we launched
0: that previous version something you mentioned earlier was that the need to balance what the pros ask for what the pros want with what the the wider market what consumers want and something we often talk about on bike radar in particular on the podcast is the, the kind of usability of an aero bike and the the kind of ability to get the fit that you want with an integrated cockpit and so on how did you balance the need for speed on a bike like the madone versus the kind of everyday usability
1: Um, We definitely do have a ton of consideration to that. um, First, just from a ride quality perspective, that's one of the the primary focuses on the bike is making it not just a bike that's super fast, but a bike that you can ride. We think of it as an everyday, all day bike, like that we want it comfortable enough that you feel like you can, there's not really a reason to, to not ride the bike. You can ride on bad pavement, you can ride it on long rides and it still has that same comfort feature. From a usability perspective, Um, I think we've gotten to a really good point in our fit of the bike. So this H one and a half geometry is this really cool balance between accessibility for the vast majority of riders, um, but also accommodation to our professional fits. Um for sure they've come up and been a little bit less extreme over the last ten years of that they're using more traditional seven degree stems. I don't know if we have a single rider on a 140 anymore. Um so they've they've sort of adapted to more like more modern or traditional fits now. Um, and then we, we do want to make sure that we have this big range of uh, of integrated cockpits that riders have access to. Um, so we have a ton of uh, choices for bar width and stem length so that you can still get all that same performance um, in a fully integrated package, but make sure that it, it actually is your fit. There's four centimeters of Spacer stack that you can put underneath there, so it allows for a, a huge variation in stack. We have four different seat posts to the bike, so two different lengths, two different offsets to make sure that your saddle position can be appropriate. So fit is definitely one of the drivers in making sure that the fit windows are significant. And then maybe the last thing is that the bike is compatible with a traditional bar and stem if you want to choose something outside of the, the integrated solution. So if, if either your fit, uh, is required, that's outside of the combinations that we provide, or you simply want different ergonomics or a different drop shape, um, you can still apply that to the bike and you get most of the performance gains still out of the bike. Um, for sure, we, we sort of were pushing the boundaries from a flare perspective of that differential and drop width to hood uh, hood width on this bike of having that be a three centimeter differential which we believe is really beneficial from a performance perspective but allowing riders who might not necessarily want that degree of flair um, to still be able to get all the benefits of the awesome ride of Madone we still felt really strongly about so for sure that's all considered anytime we're building that full package and making sure that the widest variety of riders can fit on the bike or be accommodated on the bike is super important
0: I was, I was going to ask next about the the, the integrated uh, handlebar and also the fact that you have it narrow at the, the hoods and three centimetres wider at the drops, as you said. you know It's also a part of the bike that has shed a significant amount of weight. I think it's around 150 grams and 9.3 watts of aero drag. I'm referring back to our news story on, on Bike Radar from the launch of the bike. But talking specifically about the, um, the, the flare, that's a, a wider trend we've seen across performance-focused road bikes this year. I mean, how much of that was guided by you know rider feedback or was it purely from kind of an aerodynamic standpoint?
1: Um, that, that one I think originated from uh, a witnessing the trend that's existing within the industry. We see that in, in other brands and other riders are have already been tending towards narrower either complete bars or narrower, for sure narrower positions within the hoods. Um, we validated that trend within our own testing to show what the benefits were. And they're dramatic. If I mean, if you're going from a 42 in the hoods to a 39, you're getting almost a 10 watt benefit, which is in the context of performance road bikes, that's a huge amount of aerodynamic benefit. Um, and actually in this example, one of the really interesting things was the fact that it originated with us identifying that that trend exists. We validate the performance benefit and then we brought it to our professional riders and we're like, Hey, we're, Interested in this, we validated ourselves. We've ridden prototypes with that amount of flare. We think it's a really cool thing that it it feels good. It feels fast. And again, there's just this huge aerodynamic benefit, but generally our professional riders, especially when it comes to changing their fit in dramatic ways, they're like, no way. I don't want to, I don't want to try that. And this was the complete opposite of as soon as we explained those things and then provided them product for them to try, they were like, this is super cool. I I feel like I get that benefit from it. And for some riders that had been always on a 42, we thought that maybe they would go down to a, a 41 in the hoods and a, a 44 in the drop. So maybe they would actually go to a bigger bar, but still get narrower in the hoods and sort of have this incremental difference from where they had been. And almost across the board, everyone went the full, the full shift of if you were a 42 now you're a 39 in the hoods um, and in general, all the riders have been really happy with that change. Mads is one of the examples who's actually pretty extreme. I think if anything, he went down a size. So if you see photos of him racing, like he is very narrow set in his hoods. Um, but he's seen that performance benefit in a few, like the stage that he won the tour, when you're spending that much time in the wind, for sure that has a huge impact on how much energy he saves throughout a, a stage like that. Um, so, it, I think that's also a trend within modern day professional cycling is that it's a younger generation that are a little bit less attached to this traditional view. I mean, tubulars versus tubeless tires another really good example of like 10 years ago, if you would have ever presented to riders like the idea of a tube tire or a tubeless tire, like no way would you ever get that across. And now it's embraced throughout the, the Peloton. And I think these types of trends, these modern day trends where you can show a A distinct performance benefit a lot more riders are really anxious uh, and interested in in trying those ideas out and and getting all of those incremental benefits so that they can win more races
0: i mean that that was going to be my exact next question in in terms of whether you personally or trek as a brand has noticed a a kind of mindset shift around what riders are pro riders are are willing to try and to use and just specifically on on tubeless tires you know for you as, as a as a brand and i suppose as a um, as a race team sponsor, a, a tubulars is dead. Is that kind of generation in terms of tire construction over?
1: Um I, I, It seems to be hanging on in cyclocross still. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but from a professional racing road racing perspective, it seems like that transition has more or less wholly changed now where, where tubular has been embraced in the pro peloton. Um it, Inserts are becoming a more widespread thing too of, of, giving another safety feature um, to make sure that riders when they have flats are still riding on a safe system. Um But I, I think that, again, that trend is definitively true that it's a younger generation of riders that are more open to changes and more open to trying things than what we saw 10 years ago. And that, that has really accelerated acceptance of a lot of these new technologies of if there is a specific performance benefit that you can show them and then they test it and can sort of validate that themselves that, that generally they'll accept it and be uh, both willing but actually excited to try new technologies that they think will give them a benefit.
0: Brilliant. Well, we've spoken a lot about the Madone there, which you know, clearly, as we've mentioned, is a very race-focused bike, whether that's um, in the world top Peloton or for consumers want to ride fast but let's now move on to the the demane which actually as we're speaking i think it's going to launch in in half an hour but when this podcast goes out um it will have already been launched so you can read about that on bike radar um but the demane like the madone is a name that's very well established as one of the leading endurance bikes over the last decade or so um with this latest iteration you know tell me more about it What, what are the kind of headline features of this latest version of the bike
1: Yeah. um, In a way, it it followed a lot of the same trend lines as Madone. Um, One was a primary motivation behind the platform was weight reduction. So Damani, um, in his last iteration, is a brilliant riding bike. It it rides super smooth. Um, It has a ton of versatility behind it, which is very... Unique within that space of, for endurance road bikes, the fact that it's compatible with up to 38 millimeter tire, and that's a very conservative 38 um, means that you can do a lot with that platform. And generally, the feedback we had been getting about the bike was that the only real knock on it was that it was heavy. And admittedly, the bike was distinctly heavy for the category. Um, and so we wanted to preserve all of the things that made the previous Damani so awesome, that versatility, the ride, um, quality of the bike, but provide a significant weight savings. So the bike had a more, more of a performance tilt to it, that it actually, when you got it on the road and you're doing active group rides with your friends or town line sprints or the odd race, that it still felt like an appropriate race bike, but that you're getting all this versatility and comfort benefit out of it. And, um, The the biggest changes out of that platform were one again removal of the front axis speed like we talked about of that that trend of going to bigger lower vol or lower pressure tires allowed us to be able to extract some of the compliance uh, features out of the bike because we're gaining so much additional compliance out of the tire itself so no front axis speed meant that the front end is simplified it's lighter weight. Um, we also changed the cable integration solution. Of it previously was the cables were running behind the stem. Now it has uh, a more traditional integrated stem um, that comes in a wide variety of uh, sizes, and it's a really um, sort of easy to service system in that it's still compatible with any 318. Bars, so you can easily swap bars, um, and the bike can be compatible with any traditional 31.8 stem just with replacing it with the bearing top cap. So a much cleaner, lighter weight integrated front end um, sort of dro- drove a lot of the weight savings off of the bike, and I think the, the Delta for both the SL and the SLR is about 300 gram weight savings um, just on the chassis alone from the previous version.
0: I was going to ask how the the endurance market has evolved in the time since the original Domane has launched. But, you know, is that in a sense in that you can marry performance and, and comfort and endurance in, in one package?
1: Yeah. And, and it's always especially the endurance space, I think, is maybe one of uh, the most nebulous ones today in terms of how each brand defines the space. Um, For us, we want to make sure that comfort is always sort of a leading feature of that category, um, both from a fit perspective, but also a ride quality perspective, that that is giving riders something different to choose from from a race bike. Um, Versatility, I think, is really the other big that has changed within that category over the last few years, and um, I think Domani still stands out from that perspective. Again, just having tire clearance for up to a 38-millimeter tire means that what you can do with that bike is so much greater than just an old traditional endurance road bike is that that can be ridden on true gravel. You can ride it on uh, any kind of pavement, and the bike is really equipped to be able to deal with that. Um And that, that evolution of what the rider needs and trying to, um, sort of chase that or follow that for how they're, how they're changing the way that they're riding the bikes is something that we're always trying to sort of stay on top of. of It's not endurance category sits still because our riders aren't staying still. And if anything, the way riders are riding is evolving more now in the road bike category than it ever has. Like gravel bikes are certainly a, a, um, a, a huge new trend and all of our bikes certainly need to complement each other. So we're trying to make sure that we're addressing all of our riders' needs, whether that's the Checkpoint or the Delaney or the Madone or the Amanda, um, and that there's there's sort of overlap in those use cases so that if a rider wants to ride performance road but do a little bit of gravel, Delaney is an amazing platform for that because it can span this huge wide range of of applications where if, if they're gravel first, then Checkpoint is maybe the better platform that can carry more bags and has a little bit more versatility beyond even the Domani.
0: I think there is there is certainly uh not just for Trek with 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 almost any brand, a, a kind of blurring of the lines now between um endurance at its most kind of progressive and then Gravel at its most kind of racy and aggressive. Do you still feel like there's there's room for both, that they can kind of sit side by side without necessarily confusing the rider?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think um, even gravel itself is maturing as a category and diversifying in a way like gravel five years ago or three years ago used to be one one singular thing. And now um, obviously gravel racing is is become a, a huge thing from a participation perspective. Adventure riding and bikepacking has become a bigger thing from a riding perspective um, or just primarily gravel road riding is uh, is sort of established, but is differentiated based on where you live. If you're riding in central U.S. versus western U.S. versus uh, the U.K. versus Italy, those are all different gravel road experiences, too. And so I think that that's one thing that we embrace is the idea that um, those experiences are different and that you can have an array of products that sort of are more ideally suited for one versus the other so that riders really truly have a choice and can pinpoint the product that best suits what their sort of localized needs are, or how they're using the product, uh, how they're using the product specifically.
0: Something you mentioned earlier was that the uh, you also have the RSL, the, the kind of racier version of the, the Demane, and that is that's primarily uh, a geometry train change going to the 1.5 H 1.5 geometry. There's also a couple of subtle tweaks in terms of losing mudguard mounts. Is there anything else that's kind of different between those two bikes?
1: Yeah, and, and, definitively that bike is, um, is set specifically for our professional riders for Roubaix, And, and that's maybe one where we see a bigger differentiation between their needs and the regular riders needs because, uh, not everyone's riding 250 kilometers over cobbles at 40k an hour, let's say. Uh, and it's that one discrete event. So, um, for us, uh, another feature that we take out is integrated storage. Um, so they obviously don't have any benefit, uh, to that for their race. Um, and the one that's very specific to professional racing is the fact that we actually don't have as much tire clearance on that bike as we do the standard Domani SLR uh, because they use these ginormous chain rings. Um, I think the men's team was using 54, 55 tooth one single rings on their bikes, which is nuts. Um, and the women were still 50 or 52, I think, on their bike. So. Um, balancing, uh, the chainring clearance and the tire clearance is always a thing. At some point, your, your chain just becomes too thin. Um, and so by requiring that much chainring clearance, we had to encroach upon the tire clearance and reduce that subtly. I think the bike's still about about 35 millimeter tires, but that's obviously not as big as 38. But, uh, our regular riders don't necessarily need the clearance of a 54 single tooth ring on an endurance road bike buffet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, some some of the chain rings that we saw at the the Tour de France this year were just frankly ridiculous. Definitely one of the key trends to come out of this year's races: big chain rings all round, particularly in, in both time trials and on road stages. Uh, with, with a bike like the the RSL, is that effectively a special project uh, on Trek's behalf for its pro riders, or or is there a, enough of a consumer market there to justify it commercially as well?
1: Um, I, I would say that that one more debatable. Um. Internally, we actually really love that bike riding it ourselves. So like I have one myself. Um, I traditionally fit on H one and a half geometry because that's what my Amanda and Madonna are, and I like to stay in that position for my road rides. And if it just for a pure road ride bike, it's brilliant. It's really lightweight. It still feels really fast. It's super compliant. Um, but we haven't seen a, a market size signif- very significant, let's say of balancing both that ride um, characteristic, and a more aggressive H1.5 geometry. The vast majority of riders who are looking for that comfort benefit tend to also want a more upright geometry, and so that ends up being the meat of the market. And that's fine. We, we, we again, in this scenario, adapt a bike, specifically for the professional riders. We'll put it in the market and see if that's something that's interesting for consumers. Um, and even if it's a product that we love and consumers uh, don't have a broad need for it, it's still something that we can support our professional athletes with.
0: Brilliant. Well, you know, we've, we've spoken a lot about the Madone and, and about the Demani uh, just now. What we haven't spoken about is the Amonda. So I'll ask you one question, but I think I probably know the answer. Is there anything you can tell us about how the Amonda might evolve to sit alongside the Madone as a, a kind of aero focused race bike that's lost weight? Um and then the demand is an endurance bike that's also lost weight and got a little bit more aero. Where where does the Amanda fit into all of this now?
1: I mean, we still think of the three categories of bikes in a consistent way from how we've always presented them. Of Amanda remains our lightest weight platform and it is still significantly lighter than even the new Madone, uh, that got lighter than its previous iteration. But I think there's still a uh four to six hundred gram delta in most complete bike weights um, between those two. So for riders that are motivated by lightweight, um, but still want some aerodynamic consideration, let's say the Amanda is an awesome riding bike. Like it is still, I did lay tap this summer, even after the Madone launched and I wrote, I brought my Amanda because that specific stage was uh, 5,000 meters over 160 K and that's the bike uh, for sure. And it was absolutely brilliant for that specific stage. Yeah. Um, and Domani still remains our smooth bike, even though it got significantly lighter. And so we're, we're always thinking about the context of each bike as it relates to each other anytime we're doing that development and making sure that we're providing riders choice um, that's meaningful to them when we're creating our product line. So um, all those same descriptors still hold true within our product line. Damani smooth, Madonna is fast, Amanda is light. Um, and we'll sort of continue on that trend, let's say, of making sure that we're uh, differentiating the products to give our riders uh, adequate choice, so that they feel like there's always a truck bike for them.
0: Is there, is there any kind of temptation on on Trek's behalf to hark back to the, the the kind of weight weenie era? We seem to have moved away from that, but there's been a couple of releases in recent times. Thinking of the you know the Specialized AFOs, um, Cannondale most recently with its special edition kind of Super Six that you know give us a a sense that we might see the return of some super light bikes, particularly now disparate technology has evolved over the past few years.
1: Yeah. And it's something that we're always keeping our pulse on. is just understanding um, both the benefits of the rider. Of if we are going lighter weight, then what is the benefit and how that, Balances with aerodynamics. I think one thing that we believe in is the idea that aerodynamics benefit every rider every rider always wants to go a little bit faster for the energy that they put in their bike. Um, And that's true for a a gravel rider or a professional road racer that there's always some kind of consideration for the overall efficiency of the system. Um, Weight for sure is a, a really easy metric for people to be able to understand and feel Um, But it also contributes to the way that a bike rides, um, that super lightweight bikes do definitely have a unique ride characteristic compared to um, bikes that are somewhat heavier, that there's a responsiveness and there's, uh, again, a ride quality that's associated with that. And so um, I I won't answer that question specifically, but (laughs) we always think about that in, in the way that we... Are trying to define the ride characteristics of a bike and what we think riders want out of their ride experience and so whether that's balance continuing to balance aerodynamics and weight or again optimizing more for weight very specifically and not considering aerodynamics at all it's something that we put a lot of time and attention into understanding those balances and how they benefit the rider
0: okay well the, the bike industry is always evolving so we will watch this space and see how the amanda evolves in its next uh, iteration whenever that might be um but it's been fascinating to chat jordan i really appreciate you coming on the podcast
1: yeah thank you so much for your time
0: thanks for listening to the bike radar podcast if you've not done so already please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode